The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, we continue looking at God's answer to Job and his friends. We've said from the beginning of God's response that God is the answer, no matter what the questions of life are. Every problem we face can be answered by turning to God in every single situation. You may recall that God started out asking, Who are you and your friends, Job, compared to me? I'm God and you're not. And then he began to focus upon the majesty of his creation and the providential care that he provides for his creation. And then in the latter half of chapter 40 and throughout chapter 41, he focuses in upon two of the mightiest creatures in his entire creation, the behemoth and the leviathan. In the sermon that we begin today, we deal with both of these creatures. And while we don't know exactly what they are, we learn a little more about the greatness and majesty of God by looking at the greatness and majesty of these two animals that he created. Join us today as we begin looking at the behemoth and come back tomorrow as we deal with the Leviathan and we will continue to see just how much greater God is than Job and his friends could ever imagine. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
back to the book of Job tonight, to the 40th chapter, and you may recall that last week we had gotten to the point where Job is now responding to God, and he has rightly figured out that he said a lot of things he shouldn't have said, which I can identify with very well, and I'm sure you can too. And what he said was, first of all, I am vile. I'm vile. And, and I want to say to you that that is universally the response of a child of God when confronted with the majesty and glory of God. John the Baptist, I mean, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, hit the dirt when he saw Jesus in his glory. Uh, Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, when he saw God high and lifted up. Anytime you see man, a man who is a child of God in particular, coming before God in his glory, then there's no, there's no conversation going on. There's no, hey, old buddy, old pal, how you doing, that kind of thing. Where have you been, Lord? I'm going to ask you some questions. You know, Job said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to account, Lord. I'm going to demand of the Lord, and he's going to answer me. Well, you don't necessarily want that kind of response from God because the response God gave was, Job, who are you compared to me? Now, we also have seen that we can't forget that John, uh, James, you know, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. That James directly points us to the fact that Job is ultimately about God's being very pitiful and full of mercy, full of tender mercy. And so we need to filter what we're reading. You know, it's kind of like today. We, sometimes we, we all like to text, right? Well, uh, you know, somebody sends you, uh, you know, you send somebody a text and say, hey, um, you know, I think I'm a pretty good guy. What about you? And they send back, yeah, right. Well, do they mean, yeah, right? Or do they mean, yeah, right, you know? So you got to realize, you know, I don't like texting because it's so much better to do it in person. Job was in person here. And I think if we're not careful, all we'll see in this is God beating Job down. And, and there is a, there's an element of that. There always is when you question God. But there's also, as James tells us, an element of God's tender mercy here. And, and part of what he's shown us so far is how he's the great creator, but he's also the great sustainer. He sustains his creation, and he even takes care of this foolish ostrich. I love that part. That silly, foolish ostrich that, that, that doesn't seem to have, as we would say, the sense God gave a goose, you know. And it, but yet God protects them. And, you know, the ostriches still exist. It's not extinct, right? I mean, it's, and so the point is God is also showing Job, you've got me wrong, and especially your friends do. Now, he's talking to Job, but it's for the benefit of his friends as well. Job said, I'm vile. I'm not going to speak anymore. And then, then God comes back in verse 6 and begins to talk about the accusation that Job had made that God was unjust. He said in verse 8, Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Remember, that's what Elihu got mad at Job about because he said, I'm righteous and God's unjust, basically. You know? and, and God says, you know, 
he talks about how, he said, if you've got a, verse 9, hast thou an arm like God? <laughs> Canst thou thunder with a voice like them? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Now look, look, listen to this. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. At no point in these verses do you ever read God saying, cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and, and beat down the poor in spirit and beat down the brokenhearted and beat down those that are struggling in sin. No, he's always talking about the proud and the wicked. See, that's the, that's the judgment and justice of God. It's always right. And that's the problem with Job. He thought he could do a better job than God. He said in verse 14, Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Job, if you can look like me, you can create like me, you can sustain like me, you can act like me, and you can judge like me, then you can just be me. But you're not me, you see. And now tonight, he, he is turning now to two particular examples of sort of the height of his creation. You know, he's talked about everything generally, and now he says... I'm going to show you now a couple of examples of some things I've done, some things I've created. And, and, and if you can respond to this and you can do as good as I've done, then, then maybe I just need to move over and let you have the throne, Job. The first of these is the behemoth. Behemoth. Look at verse 15. Behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. We're going to read the rest of it in a moment, but, but let's first deal with this question of, what it is. You know, everybody's always, what is the behemoth? What is the behemoth? You know, is it the elephant? Is it the hippopotamus? Is it some dinosaurs or whatever? Well, here's the answer. It's the behemoth. We don't know exactly what it is and we don't have to know or God would have told us. <laughs> okay. Now, having said that, I'm going to take the scripture and look at it just for a couple of minutes and see if we can kind of get an idea of what it is. The word behemoth most likely derives from an Egyptian word which means a water ox or a water horse, that kind of thing. So it could be the hippopotamus. I tend to think that it's more on the lines of an elephant, okay, because it's at least that big. But, but I, there's a problem with that too. And just in its description. In verse 17 it says, He moveth his tail like a cedar. You know, the elephant and the hippo have just a little bitty tail. They have a little, bit, little bitty tail. So, so it may be more like, it may be a dinosaur. It could very well be. In fact, you know, as between the hippo and the, and the elephant, I lean toward elephant. But if you expand it out to include dinosaurs, I lean more towards that. I believe it probably was talking about some type of a dinosaur. And if it is, well, let me also say this before we move on. Whatever it is, it is a majestic land animal, a majestic beast that dwells on the land and moves into the waters and, 
and, and that sort of thing, okay? Lives partly on land, partly in water. But if it's a dinosaur, I want you to notice, you know, the, the, the naysayers out there always say there's nothing in the Bible about dinosaurs. Well, remember, this is the oldest book in the Bible, the oldest one written. And I read something here about something here that sounds a lot like a dinosaur. You know, these big brontosauruses, sauropods that have the long neck and that mighty tail that, you know, you, you see them. And we don't really know what they look like. They, the, the, you know, I, we, we should never discount what we see with the evidence that we see with our eyes. And we see these, these skeletons that are put back together. So apparently these creatures lived. But... They didn't live billions of years ago or millions of years ago. And notice that it says, Behold now, behemoth, which I made with thee. You know what that tells me right there? If indeed this is a dinosaur, they were made on the same day man was made. The sixth day. They were made on that same day. Okay? And, and I want to say this. You know, obviously if it is a dinosaur, they're extinct now. But you say, well, that, that's kind of strange. I don't know. And maybe he's not referring to something that is alive right then. It might have passed off the scene before Job's day even. But things that, you know, we know about certain animals that are extinct now, but that once roamed the earth, that once were alive. Uh, the dodo bird down in Australia and, uh, you know, some other, other uh, types of animals that have gone extinct. But according to the scientists, there were certain conditions that had to exist in order for the dinosaurs like that big sauropod that big brontosaurus to live certain type of humidity and all that thing i don't i don't know all the details and they really don't either but i want to show you something i want to show you something turn with me back over to genesis chapter one i got to give brother buddy credit for this because i never really thought about it till i heard him preaching on this several years ago Genesis chapter six and verse, um, chapter one rather, in verse six. On the second day of creation, after God had made the the light, the day and the night, He said, verse six. And God said, "Let there be a firmament, which is just literally an expanse, a big gulf, in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters." Okay. First, I thought when I read that, it's talking about dividing waters on the earth from other waters on the earth. But listen, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. I'm not sure, I really, Brother Buddy can correct me on this. I don't think he's talking about creating eternal heaven there. He's talking about the heavens, the atmosphere, and that sort of thing. But notice that what we have here is a situation at creation where there were waters on the earth, but there were waters above the earth. And sometimes you take a look on Google and Google Venus, the, 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 the planet Venus. The planet Venus is completely encased by clouds, vapor. It's completely enclosed by vapor, which would be some form of liquid. I'm not sure if it's water. I don't think it's water, but it's some other form of liquid but that's the vision I get when I see this is the earth completely surrounded by some great expanse of water well you say but that's not the way it is today well read on turn with me over to Genesis chapter 7 
where we jump right into the middle of the flood narrative here. And we see in verse 11 that when the flood came, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, now I don't know, again, no, no, I can't give you all the details, but apparently there were also some... Uh, basins of water within the oceans or under the earth or somehow like that. And, and when the flood came, those fountains of the great deep were broken up and the floods came up. And the windows of heaven, that, that water encircling the earth, the windows of heaven were open and those waters came down. And between the two of them, it flooded the entire earth, okay? So there's a, those waters don't exist like they did at the creation. Not today. Now turn with me over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And this is where some of you young folks that are in college and even high school, even they'll challenge you on this. When they teach you that the world wasn't created, that it just formed from a big bang and over millions and billions of years has evolved to where we are today. And the, way, the reason they do that is because the scientific uh, processes today work in a certain way. Carbon dating works in a particular way. Uh, the things they see, you know, just like I just said, people ask, well, where are these great waters that were surrounding the earth? We don't have that today. Okay, listen to this. Chapter 3 of Second Peter and verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. That's what the scientists will tell you, not in that, those words. They'll say all things today act in exactly the same way, scientifically, chemically, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, a in, under physics, laws of physics, the exact same way they existed from the very beginning of time, which by, according to them is billions of years ago. Well, that's what God said would happen. This is not new to God. God's not taken by surprise by the professors and the teachers. They're, they're scoffing, and now what they're scoffing about is... Don't tell me Jesus is coming back. Where is he? You know, because nothing's different now than it ever has been. But they, but God says in verse five, for this they are willingly ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Now think about that. That kind of reminds you of what we just read about creation, right? He said that by the word of God the heavens were of old. They existed of old. They, in other words, they were created by God. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water, I don't know if that's talking to the water surrounding it or the waters that were on the earth, but either way, it's a reference to some waters there. Now listen, verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Notice what God is saying here through the, through the writer, Peter. He's saying that there was a pre-flood earth and there was a post-flood earth. 
and things were different pre-flood than they were post-flood. And this flood, this great flood, was a pivotal event in the life of the earth. And it changed things, you see. So why, do we, why don't we have dinosaurs today? Could it be that the pre-flood earth was more conducive to dinosaurs existing? But after the flood, things were different. And the atmosphere and the, the, the ecosystem was not as conducive to those type creatures surviving. And they died out, you see. So my point is, is that, that God is, you know, people that say there's no evidence in the scriptures for the dinosaurs. There is evidence in the scriptures for the dinosaurs. I really believe that's what that's referring to. I don't believe it's just a hippo. I don't believe it's just an elephant. But anyway, be that as it may, I wanted to go down that rabbit trail just a little bit because the ultimate point of this is that God made both man and this behemoth, and the description of this behemoth is majestic and different from what man is. And he begins that in verse 15. He, you know, he said, Behold the behemoth, and this particular behemoth eats grass like an ox. You know, you think about that great dinosaur. Uh, boy, that would be terrifying to know if he was a man-eater, a meat-eater, but he eats grass as an ox. And he describes all of his, um, his strength. And then in verse 19, and, and the very first part of that verse, notice it says, He, this, is, this behemoth, is the chief of the ways of God. And what that means, I believe, is just simply this. He's the greatest of the works of God in the animal creation. He's one of the greatest creatures. He's the largest creature. He's the most awesome and majestic creature. And, and that word ways there literally means a way or a mode or a course or a pathway. And I think that's important because we see here, the, we get a glimpse of the way of God in this creature. God's ways are so much greater than our ways. And in this creature, God has created something awesome and majestic and just, seamless in its functionality notice it says uh, that the mountains verse 20 bring forth food uh, verse 21 he lieth under the shady trees and the cover to the reeds and fins the shady trees cover him with their shadow the willows of the brook compass him about he drinketh up a river and that word drinketh up literally means he oppresses it in other words the river doesn't overflow him and hasteth not. He doesn't, get, he doesn't get nervous about the river. He doesn't have to run across the river to beat the flood. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan in his mouth. He taketh it with his nose. His nose, he taketh it in, he taketh it with his eyes. Uh, his nose pierceth through snares. There's not any snares that can hold him. This behemoth, he says, Job, look at how my creation feeds and waters this creature. Look at this great creature, this behemoth. Nature has provided for him to be able to exist. It's the nature I created. And nothing in nature gives this behemoth any fear. It's absolutely the, the greatest of all the creations of God. So Job would have known. You know, we, we don't know for sure what it is. I'm not going to say it's absolutely a dinosaur. It's absolutely a uh, an elephant or, and not a hippopotamus or whatever, but we don't have to know. We just know he's an awesome, majestic land creature. Job, I want you to look at what I've done here in this particular land creature, and you tell me if you can do as good, because look back at verse 19. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. 
I like that. I left that out. See, when I read through it, I want to come back to it. He said, Behold the behemoth. Now, if you made him, Job, you should be able to take your sword and go up to him and slay him and take him captive. Because only he that made him can do that. Job, can you do that? If you can't do it, Job, you're not God. I am. See, you know, we don't have this behemoth today, I don't believe, unless it is the elephant, but I don't really think it is. But just think about an elephant. Just think about it. Let's, let's get up a safari and let's go to Africa. And let's go out there on the African veld and let's get a sword or a spear even and let's run up and attack an elephant. You want to do that? Who's, who's, anybody raise your hand ready to go? I don't think I'm going to be leading that posse <laughs> because those elephants are terrifying. I mean, when I go to the zoo and I see them and they're locked away, you know, I can't help but think what happens if they get out and, and, a, and an elephant stampeding through the village is just a terrifying thing, you see. God can control him. You and I can't. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.